Hello and welcome to Tops 10, brought to you by KTXT Radio and the College of Media and Communication at Texas Tech University in beautiful Lubbock. Tops 10 seeks out successful and influential people in politics and government, the many professions, the physical and social sciences, or the arts and humanities, and asks them to reveal their lives, ideas, and ideals through their playlist. Our format is simple. We ask our guests what pieces of music mean the most to them and to tell us the story behind the infatuation. Mr. Derek Ginter is our producer engineer. I'm David Perlmutter, a professor at and dean of the college and the originator and host of Tops 10. Today I have with me a very special guest, Dr. Kitty Harris-Wilkes. Now, Dr. Wilkes, I would say that you are probably the most famous professor ever to be at Texas Tech. <laughs> and I would disagree you with would disagree that. You would disagree with me? I would disagree. Well, well I'm, I'm going to defer to your opinion, I, but I think... I am humbled by that. Probably in terms of people knowing, oh, that's the university where the person who founded, and we're going to learn a lot more okay. about what you founded and okay. what you started, but in terms of national reputation, beyond just your own field, right. I would say you're probably our mega rock star. Well, I, I am flattered and honored, and I, I, th- I think you might be a little bit... <laughs> a little bit broad, but um, thank you. Thank you for that compliment. Dr. Kitty Harris-Wilkes serves as executive partner for Collegiate Recovery with Summit BHC, a network of leading behavioral health centers throughout the United States. She also serves as president of the Foundation for Recovery Initiatives, which is dedicated to consulting, education, science, and research for addition, uh, addiction, addiction recovery. I was just saying for people that who have good. too much math, <laughs> you had your That's addiction right. recovery. And she is the president of No Life Wasted, a non-for-profit corporation supporting and promoting addiction treatment and recovery. She's a noted public speaker and presenter at national conferences, workshops, and seminars on topics including adolescence, substance abuse prevention, addiction recovery, and communication, civility, and leadership. You have a very long biography, Kitty, (laughs) but I'd like you to tell me if somebody you had to describe in brief what you started Mm-hmm. which is now just world famous and being replicated all over the world. Mm-hmm. If you could tell us a little bit about that. Well, it's it's interesting because it's probably the one thing that I'm the most passionate about. And it was it was actually started here at Texas Tech by Dr. Carl Anderson. And originally it was the Center for the Study of Addiction. And then um, I was asked when he retired to to take it over and I was in a you know how you're in the right place at the right time and, and so that's why I can't take a lot of credit for it I was just in the right place at the right time and, and this was 1937 yeah it was no, 1937 no. that's <laughs> no, right no, no. and that's how old I feel some days <laughs> but um, and I uh, was given the charge of growing the center and um, developing some research uh, there, and and that was really about it. Well, I, I realized as I started working, had the opportunity to do some work in Washington with some people that there there were only three in the country, and we were getting here at Tech more applications for kids wanting to be part of a recovery center than we had places to take them, and so the idea came to develop a replication model. Uh, which was funded by the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration and the Department of Education. Uh, and then we, we developed the model to replicate. We did the pilot work to replicate it. And, and today, uh, to the best of my knowledge, there, we've gone from three programs in the country to 139. 
That's truly incredible. And, and again, you, you are world famous for that. And, and you're on the road, what, every week now? Well, I'm trying to back off a little bit, but I, I have done a lot of work, especially in the first early years. We, we, we did pilot programs, and then it really caught fire, and I was traveling almost every week to different universities. Kitty, addiction is one of those topics that everybody knows or thinks they know a little bit about. Mm -hmm. Some people have strong opinions, not based upon science, but, you know, experience. Absolutely. Uh, Everybody probably knows within one or two circles of friends somebody who would fall under the classification of addiction. I'm going to ask you a lot of questions about your science. My first one, though, is when we use the word addiction, almost anything can be addicting, right? I mean, when wow. we when we hear about somebody who's addicted to video games or pornography, right. those are not actual substances that are injected into the body, right. but they can trigger whatever are the mechanisms that you're going to tell us about in the brain the same way that heroin might. Absolutely. Is that correct? Absolutely. And those we call process addictions. And they can be food, video game, pornography, sexual addiction, things like that. And they begin that process of compulsively using, and instead of a chemical, compulsively using or engaging in the behavior. So you're, you're exactly right. And I, th- I think the other thing that you said that's important is there's, there's probably not anyone any of us knows that isn't able to pull up a name or a family or a, 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 even a position at a company where someone hasn't been touched by drug addiction, alcoholism, process addiction. It's, it's amazing how vast um, the issues are. How many people are addicted and uh, don't maybe not even recognize it yet as an addiction. Well, the the typical stats that you read are one in 10 have some struggle or problem. That that probably is a little bit small if you begin to look at process addiction. I just want to say a problem is it it is something classified as an addiction is if it begins to interfere with the other parts of your life. Very good. Yes. Okay. Because because, because I'm thinking I probably have some things that I'm addicted to (laughs) which don't interfere with right. my professional and my family right. life, right. wouldn't we start going into the 90% if we started listing the smaller things? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think some of the things that, that I love to, to really talk about when I'm teaching to a, a class about this is my favorite definition of addiction, which is you will find in no book, and it is nothing scientific, and it is nothing even psychological, but is if it's causing a problem, it is a problem. And that is the very basis. If if your behavior is causing a problem in your life, in your family, in your job, then it's a problem. The other thing that I, that I think about a lot that's very simple, because you know we can certainly look at this at a very deep level scientifically, but what people relate to most is what they understand. And the the other thing that I, I look at in helping people understand the process is addiction happens when the behavior or the substance becomes the central organizing factor of your life. Your first song that you listed for us was Give Me One Moment in Time by Whitney Houston. Yes. And I'm going to ask you about that song, and we're going to play a clip from it. But it occurred to me that it's a song that that really does connect to some of your work Uh because the definition of a problem is dependent on who's looking at it, right? That's Because you might be talking to somebody who's addicted to video games, and they just think they're having a great time, and and it's fun. Absolutely. Now, the fact that they're unemployed 
unemployed in their parents' basement with no job, <laughs> no, no life whatsoever might be a problem to yeah. relatives or others. But to them, it's like, hey, man, I'm, 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 I'm really enjoying myself. Time. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the characteristics of addictive disorders and substance use disorders and process addictions is denial. And almost everyone knows that, that, that the person that has the problem typically denies that they have the problem because they don't see it that way. And because they don't really want to have to change their behavior, they don't want to look at it as a problem. Each day I live, I want to be a day to give the best of me. I'm only one, but not alone. My finest day is yet unknown. I broke my heart for every game To taste the sweet, I face the pain I rise and fall, yet through it all This much remains So we're trying to get the attention of somebody, right, Mm -hmm. who's addicted. The greatest worry, I'm sure, parents. Like a lot of parents, I'm sure we as parents think, well, we're not as much worried about as our child as by our child's peers. Because what I noticed with the people I've noticed in my life who have become addicted is they had people around them that encouraged the process of addiction mm-hmm. or enabled it mm-hmm. on both ends. That is correct. And I, and I think um, I think that's a hard distinction when you think about chicken or egg. I think a lot of times people group together that have similar interests or similar experiences or want similar experiences. And I think you're exactly right. Oftentimes, especially with adolescents, um, and sometimes even emerging adults, like the college population, you find people gathering together with people that are wanting the same experience or having it. And then there are the enablers, which is a whole another issue and, and worthy of some discussion at some point. I don't see visibly the evidence of an out-of-control binge-drinking culture, to just use alcohol uh-huh. here at Tech uh-huh. the way I did at University of Iowa. Uh-huh. University of Iowa, if you ever visit that campus, yes, the I campus did. is downtown. Right. And as last night, when I left in 2013, there were 42 bars like mm. within a block of the university. Mm-hmm. And boy, you could tell Sunday morning, Monday morning, that this was a college town. I have to think that the forced binge drinking was was 
a cultural thing. It wasn't uh-huh. like an individual saying, boy, I love passing out and vomiting. Mm-hmm. It's giving me such it's, a wonderful high. Yeah. Th- there has yeah. to be this group think there, right? Right. Well, I think I think some of it is a group think. Some of it is um, the good old, I hate this term, but the old peer pressure of I'm going to be a part of this is what people do to become a part of. And it's a matter of belonging, social support, that kind of thing. Um, and, and I think you're right. You know, certainly all, all college campuses have their, their struggles. But I think by and far, you know, uh, tech has a culture that hasn't gotten to the point that you just described. And, and having worked with so many college campuses through the years, um, what you learn that each of them have their own almost personality uh, and, and culture that revolves around drinking or drug use or, you know, other things, sports, you know, whatever it is. Where did you grow up? Actually around the country. I, I have a kind of a strange story. I was born in Lubbock. My, my, my parents met at SMU. My dad graduated from tech and started his first job here. And then we moved to Baltimore, Maryland. And from there, we moved to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And from there, we moved to Jacksonville, Florida. And from there, we moved to Chicago, Illinois. And we stayed there the longest. My parents decided my dad just was sick of the corporate world of Chicago and wanted to come back to West Texas. And so I went to high school, actually, here in Lubbock. And then uh, graduated from high school and left for about 10 years and went away to college and came back. And... I guess I just seem to be drawn here. I always swear I'm never going to stay here, <laughs> but I always seem to be drawn back here. So Now, when you were growing up, was there music in your life? Absolutely. A- absolutely. I, lo- I have always loved music. Now, are, are you addicted to music? No, I'm not addicted to music. See, how can music. we tell that? I want to ask this question because <laughs> this is fascinating to me. Cause how can you tell the difference between a, p- a positive right, addiction or, right. or not an addiction? right. And a negative addiction or, or an addiction. So, for example, if okay. you were neglecting your work and your family and spending all your time listening to music and spending the whole family budget on iTunes downloads, right. at that point, I would we be need a trouble. intervention, That's right. right. Okay. Absolutely. Right. And, and, you, and you really have such a great essence of what that is about because I, there are what we call sometimes positive addictions. And, and, and I think... Um, you know, I, I used In to, our business, there's a lot of workaholics. Oh, a lot of workaholics, a lot of workaholics, a lot of people. Um, I, I used to run a whole lot. I still run some, but I, you know, trained for marathons and half marathons and that kind of thing. And I think if you, one of the things I noticed about that, people that run when they're injured, I mean, that would be a negative addiction. You know, you're continuing to, to do something that, that actually harms your body. Um, or the music thing or the video games is is one of the things we see today a lot. And and some of the latest research, and I do not propose to be well-versed in this, so let me me say that, but even technology addiction. I mean, you probably know people that that they don't go five minutes without looking at their phone or iPad or whatever. Addiction. It it is. It is common. And I'm amazed. um, And I'm amazed because I'm interested in in the the phenomena, you, you know, going to restaurants and people now you know are on their phones they're not talking 
uh, one, one of the... And they're together with someone else. And yes. the kids, too. There was recently... Yes. I, I should have brought it for this discussion, but there was recently, I believe it was in Forbes or the Wall Street Journal, there was a pediatrician, mm-hmm. a 30-year veteran pediatrician. Did you read this article? No, He, he wrote about he's thinking of quitting, basically, uh, because uh. he can't stand children anymore. <laughs> and That would be a good reason. <laughs> well, because of... The, the attitude of parents right. enabling children to behave badly right. and treating their parents badly right. in front of the, the pediatrician. But also, the kids show up and they're spending the entire appointment. That's right. And I see this at restaurants, you know, that the, the, they'll just set up an iPad there and mm-hmm. the kid is just playing the, on or their phone the entire time. Well, and, and I, you're exactly right. And I th- that, That's the, enabling. It is enabling. And, and it's also <laughs> a lack of engagement. Uh, I did read an article recently that one of the things that we have lost is the art of conversation. Like, you and I can sit here and, and do this easily, and I hope well and I just and wish you'd stop texting while yeah. we're... <laughs> I'll try to. But, but I, I would propose that if we put two younger people here in our seats with a similar agenda, that it would be much more difficult for them to literally converse in a comfortable way because they're so used to technology. Your next song is Music of the Night by Michael Crawford. Yes. That song gives you pleasure. It does. In fact, listening to music, I assume, like for me, like most people, you get pleasure out of that. I do. I love it. But that's not a bad thing. No, it's not a bad thing. So turning to music or to literature Mm -hmm. or art Mm -hmm. for a relief from the day for, for pleasure is great. The pleasure centers are triggered. But that's fine. That's right. Right. And, and again, it's like you said earlier, as long as that doesn't interfere with the way I do my life. And, and actually, music music therapy is used a lot of times in treatment. Art therapy is used in treatment. You know, helping people to discover other things in their life that allow them a sense of comfort, a sense of calm, a sense of relaxation is a great way to help with dealing with addictive disorders. Nighttime sharpens, heightens each sensation. Darkness stirs and wakes imagination. Silently the senses abandon their defenses. Surrender to your darkest dreams 
heard your thoughts of the life in you before. Close your eyes, let your spirit start to Your next song is I Made It Through the Rain by Mar- Barry Manlow. And, and I guess I'm going to just admit on, uh, tel- on radio here that I've actually heard this song. <laughs> and it's a pretty good song. It's a great song. But uh, it's, it's about su- surviving. It is. Going through an experience. It is. I grew up, uh, I was born in early 1960s. And so I grew up with a lot of movies from the pre- I guess the pre-medical era of, uh-huh. of alcohol, mm-hmm. where, first of all, alcoholism was much more accepted. I mean, right. like, people drank a lot. Right. I mean, it was just normal part of society. Drinking and smoking, you especially watch some of those old movies, mm-hmm. uh, whether James Bond or something, you know, drink, drink, smoke, drink, smoke, drink, smoke, just part of normal. <laughs> the Mad Men, That's very right. famous for that showing right. that, right? So it was just part of culture uh-huh. much more than it is today. Uh, I think I'm thinking of scenes from movies where somebody was actually arrested in a movie for being a drunk, mm-hmm. and they're thrown into the drunk tank, mm-hmm. which I think nobody under the age of 40 knows what that is. But it, the true. police would just arrest somebody who was drunk, and throw them in a cell, uh-huh. and leave them there for four, three or four days for them to recover. Right. And then they would be reco- they they would go through the bends, you know, all these terminology. I don't know if they, people use these terms anymore. Yeah. But but can you talk about when you started, when did you first start at the center or working um, in this area? I first started working in the area in 1982, before the center was ever open. I started working in private practice, seeing mostly adolescents that had substance abuse problems. And then uh, Charter Plains Hospital, which was before your time here, opened in 1984, I think. And I uh, it was a psychiatric hospital that dealt with substance abuse and mental health uh, issues, and I started uh, running their adolescent substance abuse unit, and then later their adult chemical dependency unit. So I've been working in this field for 35 So years. that was at a time where there was no longer the idea that the only way to recover was just to just stop cold turkey and do nothing. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. At that point, um, there had been a did real... Did people recover? I mean, did that work in any way? I mean, when if you just, just if you just locked, locked up somebody and kept them away from alcohol for two months, did they not, stop being alcoholic? No, not usually. Not usually. Very few people um, are able to do what we call white-knuckling it, which is just, I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to drink. And and back in the 50s, with the um, development of Alcoholics Anonymous by uh, Bill Wilson and Bob Smith, who have become famous for, for that uh, mode of treatment, um, people began realizing that working with other people that were struggling and being willing to talk about their own struggles was an effective way of, of helping some people to certainly to get well. And so by the when, by the time I started working in this field, we were into the point of beginning to look at some new things like intervention. You know, intervention was a fairly new idea back in the early 80s, um, looking at how do you help people help themselves? How do you help people get help? 
And, and that's probably one of the biggest struggles in this field is because of the denial, because of the unwillingness to want to change the patterns in your life, that, that ability to intervene, which is a little bit, you know, when you think about I made it through the rain, that's one of those songs that's, that really speaks to that I have made it through this struggle. I've been able to put my life back together. I've been, you know, uh, I have no idea if that's what Barry Manilow was talking about, but, but the song lends itself itself towards that resolution of struggle. We dreamers have our ways of facing rainy days, and somehow we survive. We keep the feelings warm, protect them from the storm. Until our time arrives Then one day the sun appears And we come shining through those lonely years I made it through the rain I kept my world protected I made it through the rain I kept my point of view I made it through the rain And found myself respected By the others who Got rained on too And made it through Your next song is by Josh Groban, You Raised Me Up. Mm-hmm. And so we're talking about intervention now. Mm-hmm. And so I, I admit that I watched for a few seasons a, a very, very evil show called Intervention. And that, that was an evil show. <laughs> uh, but it was masterfully done. It was. And I, I think it did have some essential truths there. And one of them was... It was unbelievable how low people sank mm-hmm. when they were still denying that they had a problem. Oh my I mean, gosh. there was one episode, I'll leave out some of the descriptions, but basically it was a woman who was addicted to drugs and she was <clears throat> she was working as like a street prostitute to raise five dollars to buy drugs and living in filth, you know, just just you, you, check every box of like human depravity yes. and yes. decrepitude. And she was still denying that she had a problem. Yes. So that was one observation there. And then second, they were still, as I recall, members of her family Mm -hmm. that were essentially enabling her. Mm -hmm. Like she'd come and say, Mm -hmm. look, I need some money. Mm -hmm. I promise I'm going to quit, you know, Mm -hmm. but I just need some money to get back on my feet. And this is the 97th time she's done this for her grandmother. Mm -hmm. But grandma, you know, gave her 50 bucks. and, and, And of course... What did she do with that fifty bucks? Well, okay, she's absolutely. At, uh, there. So those are those two truths. Yes, that, ab- that absolutely. Occur? And and I have millions of those stories through through my years in this field, and I think that's one of the most disheartening. Working in this field is not all. Um, uh, sunshine and roses. Um, people die. People die from addiction. They die more often than I'd like to think. There are people that I have known through the years that have lost their lives due to their addiction. Um, it's a it's a 
It's a deadly, fatal disease. Were they denying to the very end? To the very end. And um, I've, I know a lot of um, young people that I've worked with will say things like, well, you know, you know, I won't do drugs anymore, but I can drink. You know, once they get drunk enough, they go back to their drugs of choice and oftentimes, you know, overdose. And so I think the, the saddest part of this field professionally is watching the denial finally take a life or watching the enabling finally take a life. I mean, there are so many... Um, so you, you yourself have seen, have worked a- with people... Absolutely. ...who just keep going. Absolutely. And just can't stop. Now, what distinguishes somebody who, I mean, you have two people who are both, it's whatever is, you know, they're both, it's 9.3 at level of addiction to, mm-hmm. to alcohol. Mm-hmm. One person, five years later, they're, they haven't had a drink. I mean, they're, they're still, you know, prone to it, but they're, they're living a good life. They're, they're, they're about as recovered as you could rate somebody. Right. And one person is dead. Right. What's the difference between those two people? You know, um, is, it, is it just some chem- psychochemical? No, no. I, th- that's a that's a great question. I mean, that is a great question, and, and I I wish I had an absolutely perfect answer. I, I have I have a um, a speculation. Have a speculative answer. I think, and, and and that's one of that's one of my favorite research areas right now because I think the difference is the word resilience. I think that some people are more resilient than others. And I think that there are some people that can go through the same exact experience, but because they have that ability to bounce back, because they have some degree of maybe optimism, maybe faith, maybe hope, maybe belief that certainly there's something better on the other side of this, that really, and, and I think that you find that in the songs that I chose, because they're songs of hope. Um, they're songs of inspiration, because I believe that you can't work in this field without feeling some degree of hope and some real reliance on on inspiration that there are people that are going to make it through the rain. There are people that aren't. There are people that are going to raise them up to allow them to do that. And there but, are people- but it has to be, is it something that's already there? Because I, th- I, think, I think what a lot of families probably are hoping is they can come and somebody will inject resilience <laughs> or hope into somebody. Because what the dynamic, and again, I, I just haven't seen this you know, too, too up close, but I've seen it on TV or I've, right. I've, I've seen it as a distance in families, is that grandma yeah. has hope for right. grandson. Absolutely. Okay, like, like she believes That's in her right. grandson. That's right. She prays. That's she right. believes in God. That's she, right. But boy, whatever's the resilience factor of, of grandson is pretty low. And, and, and she can't inject... No matter what is said, right. it just isn't penetrating. Does that mean that there's something already existing, some, you know, whatever chemical or neuron mixture right. it is, is already there and you're lucky enough to have it genetically? Or is it something insertable? Well, I think, and, and I'm actually have done some research on this, I think that it is something that can be injected. I th- some of the things that we have found from some of the neuroscience work we have done on resilience is that it seems to focus around the ability to access social support, like grandmother, that believes in you. You know, you can you can put people in treatment over and over and over again, and some people recover, and some people some people don't ever choose 
what it takes to do that. And I think um, I know one thing. I know that I, if I had been a betting person and had bet through the years, this person would make it, this person won't, this person would make it, this work person won't, I would have lost a lot of money. That's fascinating. Even with you, with your yes. professional skills, yes. it's hard to tell where people are going to end up. Yes. And I think that, I think there's a couple of reasons for that. And you spoke to them. I think sometimes it's how we're wired up, you know, in terms of our personalities and, and, our, and the way we've been raised, possibly, our family dynamics. I think it's hard to know what's going to kick in that might grab you. You know, what is it, what is it that's going to make you feel like your life is worth living without the chemicals? And, and that's what the question is. When I am down and oh my soul so weary When troubles come and my heart burdened be Then I am still and wait here in the silence Until you come and sit a while with me You raise me up so I can stand on mountains You raise me songs that you listed, I'm skipping one, but I wanted to go to because I think it's it's um, it speaks to what you're talking about, On My Own from Les Miserables. Uh-huh. It's a song of despair. <laughs> it is. Now, <laughs> I think as, as somebody who talks to people, you realize you don't always have the complete story. Absolutely. It's like sometimes, you know, I, I get sometimes a student will come to me and say, you know, I, I got a grade in this test, and the professor was unfair. They, you know, they, they knocked me out for being absent only once, you know. And then I'll talk to the professor, and, well, 
according to the professor's right. records, you were absent 12 times, right. you know, and you failed every test, and now you're wondering why you didn't get an A. You didn't give me the whole story here. Exactly. The, and what I've observed in my indirect uh, contact there is that sometimes there's, there's, there, there's a lot of backstory uh-huh. that, that affects the way that people go. And again, families are not willing to face the backstory. I remember in one of these episodes of Intervention, there was a young woman and she was addicted to drugs. And from the surface, you see a loving, supportive family who just wants her to get better. And then out of the blue, the mother says, well, you know, she was sexually abused so much when she was growing mm. up. And I'm going, oh, stop, stop, wait, go back to that. Time uh, out. Time, yes. And this is 45 minutes in the show. Can we talk, because you, you yes. don't think there's any connection yes. here and like right. don't have to deal with that? Right. And who did that? It was a family member that's right. in the room, right? I mean, there's a lot of stuff <clears> going on. And so uh, you have to treat the families as well, right? Because absolutely. it's not that these are all happy, you know, absolutely positive, resilient middle-class families that just have this one black sheep no. necessarily, right? No, that is so correct. And I, um, it reminds me of a story that is the one time I almost got fired from a, a job, a position. And I was, I was working um, – with a family, and they it wasn't that story, but it was something really. It was, it was something I really. I don't even like to think about. It was so. It was so awful. And when they began talking about that, my response was, "If I lived in your home, I would do drugs too." Which they weren't very happy to hear that, but it was that sense of acknowledging that the dynamics of what were happening. You know, put this put this child, this adolescent, in a position of such an incredible need to escape the pain. On my own, pretending he's beside me, all alone. I walk with him till morning. Without him, I feel his arms around me And when I lose my way, I close my eyes And he has found me In the rain The pavement shines like silver With light in the river In the darkness The trees are full of starlight And all I see is him and me Forever and forever And I know It's only in my mind That I to myself and not to him and although I know that he is blind still I say there's a way for us I love him but when the night is over he is gone The river's just a river 
Without him, the world around me changes. The trees are barren everywhere, the streets are full of strangers. I love him, but every day I'm learning. All my life, I've only been pretending. Without me, his world will go on turning. A world that's full of happiness that I have never known. I love him. I love him. I love him. But only my Your next song is uh, God Bless the USA by Lee Greenwood. So one of the discussions that I remember when I was in high school, and I had a pretty unhappy high school experience, not because of my parents. I actually, right. you know, pretty decent home life. Everything was fine, as I remember it. <laughs> But um, I just didn't get along very well in, in high school. But mm-hmm. again, I had this personality of I never did anything twice that yeah. I didn't like, so I just had nothing to be addicted to, apparently. But when does adolescence actually end? Well, and, and that's a, that is a, that's a great question. Because you meet people if, in their 30s who are man boys. That's right. Know, that they're still acting like that's they're right. 17. And there's a, lot, there's, a, there's a lot of literature out there now saying that adolescence, adolescence used to, in, in the olden days, end like when you were finished being a teenager. So like or, at 20. And the concept of a teenager yeah. is a recent concept because right. the reason that all of our religions, Christianity, Judaism, right. say, right. okay, you're a man at 13. At 13. Because that's, right. that's when, okay, congratulations, here's your wife, here's your plow, yeah. go to go it. Go for it. You know, that's right. <laughs> at I know. 13. Now, which is inconceivable today. We, that's a disaster today right. for the family. You know, yeah. we have oh, somebody oh my gosh. pregnant yeah. that, that, that no. young. But it was part of like Bronze Age culture and, and probably Stone Age culture. So they just put part of until until the last couple of hundred years, then that that changed, right? So adolescence, by society standards, has shifted. Has shifted, even to the point... the brain development... Well, in the the brain development, typically you think about, you know, the end of the end of the teen years, beginning early in 20s, that brain development has pretty well gotten where it's going to be. That There's some literature that talks about that um, that prefrontal lobe finishing off development in it's adolescence. It's the last thing developed, right? It is the last thing, of course, <laughs> because it involves judgment. But one of the things that's interesting is that, so they, so they have this real egocentric state, but then the, the two other things that are very interesting to me that involve not only substance use, but but other choices is they they have this um, uh, developmental construct. It's called the imaginary audience, and they think that everybody's looking at them, that they're always on stage. And that's why when you talk about junior high and high school being painful sometimes, it's because they think they they can walk into a room and every, they think everyone's eyes are on if them. If they have a pimple, that means everybody, the entire school, the entire met school that knows. That's right. To that talk pimple. about it. That's right. right. And that is an incredibly and now difficult with way media. to live. 
I, with social, and that's what that's exactly this is fascinates right. Fascinates me is that now to some extent that's actualized. It is actualized, and it's broadcasted, so to speak, in terms of of other people knowing it. And, and but the third construct that really speaks a lot to bad choices and and troublesome behavior, they also believe in what's called the personal fable, and the personal fable is this sense of it won't happen to me. I am different. I'm special. So I'm special. Like yeah. you're going to go drink and have an accident, but I'm not. You know, you're going to go have sex, but you know, and and get, somebody's going to get pregnant, but I'm not. And so they they've bought into this personal fable where they believe that they are special and they are unique, and and it relates very well. No one has ever well. suffered like this. That's before. right. No one has ever suffered like I have. You have no idea what I've been through, and they believe it. And that's where I think. We miss the boat in understanding for them it's real. I mean, it is a very real way for them to look at the world developmentally. And so when you think about adolescence and you think about, you know, the suicide or the substance abuse and how, why couldn't they have waited or why didn't they understand, it's because they truly, much better than as adults, we do. They live in the moment oftentimes. They, they have... They, at that very moment, um, it's too painful to, you know, to think it's going to be any different. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children and my wife. I thank my lucky stars to be living here today. Cause the flag still stands for freedom And they can't take that away And I'm proud to be an American Where at least I know I'm free And I won't forget the men who died Who gave that right to me And I gladly stand up next to you And defend her still today there ain't no doubt I love this land God bless the USA Your next song is Dionne Warwick, uh, That's What Friends Are For. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's talk about being a friend or a parent. You're, you're worried that, you're, that your child may be going in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. may be developing something. Mm-hmm. I read years ago a, a sort of pop psychology book. I don't know why, but it was about mother-daughter relationships. Uh-huh. But it was written by a psychologist, and she, she obviously had synthesized, you know, in a pop way, some right. actual research. Right. And she talked about how, for mothers, the biggest point of contention with their daughters is they felt their daughters were unable to assess risk, mm-hmm. whereas the daughters felt their mothers were way exaggerating risk. Right. And there was this one dyad there that I thought was hilarious from a parent's point of view. If, if you're not the parent, it wasn't hilarious if you were the parent, is there was a, a 16-year-old daughter, and she was having a terrible argument with her mother because her boyfriend, who was 19, had just gotten a motorcycle, and they wanted to ride the motorcycle mm. into town mm. for a concert during a rainstorm 
because all the other kids were doing it. And why didn't the mother understand that this is what she had to do right. or Tommy would drop her if she didn't? From the mother's point of view, this is pure insanity and like, I'm going to lock you in the house, you know. But from the daughter's point of view, you're oppressing me that's and right. crushing me. You've ruined my life. Yeah, that's right. Because, because <laughs> that's you know, right. if I don't go I to mean, this concert tonight, drop me. that's right. on the motorcycle, the first time Tommy has ridden the motorcycle in the rainstorm, yeah. you know, a bad thing will happen. Whereas the mother's thinking, yeah, the bad thing will be that you... You're going to die. <laughs> <laughs> spread all over the road. That's right. What's that's going right. on there? Well, I think, I mean, again, I think it's it's developmentally where, where we are. I mean, everyone looks at things from their own point of view. And the mom is protective. She feels, you know, that she's been given this child to oversee and look after and help make good judgments. And the child um, is beginning to learn to express her own will, express her own wishes, express her own needs and desires. And I think that is why adolescence is such a such a troubling and difficult time is that you've got parents that are trying to be protective, rightly so, and then you've got adolescents that are trying and really working hard at at being, you know, somewhat free in, in their own individuals. And that in so many ways is the story of our lives. I mean, from birth to death. Um, depending upon, you know, it's a push-pull, you know, I, th- this is my right, well, you can't do that right, you know, that there's, I think parenting is one of the hardest things in the world, and I think it's hard to find balance, I think it's hard to let go, I think it's hard not to be just crazy neurotic over worrying about what's going to happen to your child, you know, I mean, I, I am I am the grandmother that you were talking about, is that, oh, I'll do whatever it takes, and I will believe in my grandson and granddaughter forever, that kind of thing, but it puts us in positions where oftentimes our judgment is not as good as it should be. You know, n- none of us... So the denial is not just in the individual ab- who's suffering from the addiction, No, right? it's across the board. In, in the family, I have, gosh, I've worked with families through the years that, that are probably in more denial than the actual primary substance user. Because I think part of it, you mentioned earlier, you know, what did we do wrong? I mean, that's that's a hard thing to think, and it's not about that usually. Or what could we have done differently? Or what if this doesn't get better? Or what if we lose him or her? You know, and in the the um, the turmoil, the distress, the struggles that families go through with addiction are um, nothing you would wish on anyone. Sure. That's what friends.
Your next song is Kenny Loggins, This Is It. And that, but in your business, there's no it, is there? Well, if this, it, but when you hear the song, yeah. um, it, This Is It, this is, this is Your Miracle. And so that song represents, I think, a real sense of, that, you know, here is your chance to turn your life around. You know, This Is It, This Is Your Miracle. Stand up and fight. And um, and I, I think I think if looking at the songs, which were difficult to choose because it took me actually quite a while to go through different ones, but a lot of those songs represent that sense of, of inspiration, that sense of of um, coming through you know the hard stuff and and it's it's funny because half of them were either romantic or inspirational you know and 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 yet they all portray i believe that resilient human spirit and and, and i think that's the part for me that music feeds more than anything is that 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 human spirit in us that allows us to to develop the resiliency to develop that sense of of going forward to to being able to um, um, to be grateful, I think, for for the struggles as well as the successes. And for everybody, the it is different. It is, yeah. absolutely. There have been times in my life I've been wondering why Still somehow I believe we always survive Now I'm not so sure Arthur Park by uh, Richard Harris, a very famous song. Uh, I think certainly some of our younger listeners w- might think of it as a strange song. Richard yeah. Harris was a great actor, and this was his one song. I one think he, song. He sort of spoke his way through MacArthur Park in uh-huh. Los Angeles there. What does MacArthur Park bring back well, for you? I think in listening to that song, there is it, there is just a huge depth of passion. The way he sings it, the way he Pour, literally pours himself into it. Again, that that sense of passion, that sense of inspiration. I think in the in that sense of of struggle and overcoming, uh, overcoming that. It was interesting when I thought about that one and several others. I thought those go way back for me in terms. Th- those were songs probably, gosh, and a lot of them, some of them in my college days. But I think there was always that theme of you know it's worth pouring yourself into. It's worth investing the passion. It's worth investing whatever you have to for the struggle. Spring was never waiting for us, girl. It ran one step ahead as we followed in the dance. Between the part 
to pages and were pressed in rough hot fevered iron like a striped pair of pants. MacArthur's Park is melting in the dark, all the sweet green icing flowing down. Someone left the cake out in the rain. I don't think that I can take it Cause it took so long to bake it And I'll never have that recipe again Oh no Your final song, I think, is obviously a very good ending for our discussion is Wind Beneath My Wings by Beth Midler Yeah The, the ultimate... <laughs> Chick flick. <laughs> well, the the ultimate, you know, I can move forward, move forward. with with other with help. Pe- with help. That's right. That's right. With love. Right. That's right. And word we actually haven't talked about that much. Yeah, love. Love. Yeah. Because most of those songs are loving. Um, and I would have to say to you, and um, uh, Morris, my husband, could could verify this, is that. I didn't think of these songs with any themes in mind. I just sat down and wrote down the songs that that I and I went and looked at some. How many? It's like CDs. a Rorschach test. These songs. It is. You know, it because really people is. say that, but then uh, they all <laughs> they seem have, pretty connected to what their passion is in their life. I yeah. know, and yeah. I think that's so interesting because I, I went from Jeremiah was a bullfrog, <laughs> three dog night, all the way to you know wind beneath my wings, and and I started looking at what are my favorite, and then once I began looking at that, and wind beneath my wings is, and it's it is a great way, and, and that movie, you know, was was a great great film that showed help and and resilience and hope and to have people around you that support you that love you that care about you that believe in you um that and, and kitty you agree that you if you're a if you're having a problem uh-huh. part of the tough decisions you need to make are to make sure that you are actually surrounded Absolutely. by people Absolutely. who are supportive. Absolutely. And that means possibly cutting out of your life, family, and friends. Absolutely. Or not helping. Absolutely. Yeah. There are some people that will not get well, cannot stay well with certain people in their life that have a tendency to pull them down and pull them down and pull them down. And what we know from recovery, um, and not just anecdotally, but from the research we've done, is that that sense of social support, that sense of validation, that sense of building on a com- sense of companionship, Companionship are things that really allow um, allow people to flourish. Well, Kitty, you have done so much for so many people, uh, and yet, as I think anybody listening to you now can hear, you're also a very humble and well, a, just a, a very matter-of-fact person. That thanks. that you're very approachable about your science and. It really is remarkable that we have someone like you who's made such a name at Tech and now branching out all over over the world. I want to thank you on behalf of probably hundreds of thousands of people that either directly or indirectly have been positively affected by you. You have the thanks of a grateful nation in Texas Tech and West Texas. Thank you. And thanks for having me. This was so much fun. Very much fun. I hope we can continue again because I guess anyone talking to you learns so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.